All right, good to be with you. Last week, again, our hope is that these young kids around here, God's entrusted that they will sense in us a passion for Christ and be drawn to him. We celebrated that last week by uh, looking a little bit at what's been going on this summer with uh, our, our youngest folks and with our junior hires and senior hires, and maybe you had a chance to be there. Thank you. We had a picnic earlier in the summer. We had a dunk tank. I don't know if you remember all that, but thank you for your donations. Through those donations, 30 young people were able to attend these camps. Because of your faithfulness commitment, we got a little money left over. But thank you for doing that. Thank you for all your giving to us. We do need money to make this ministry happen. So thank you for your generosity. Continue to thank you for continuing to, to give that. And we celebrate God's goodness. Fun to be back with you. I really haven't done this in several weeks now. I had a little break. And it's, it's good to be with you. If you look at Exodus 3. Remember the account of Moses in the burning bush. God appears in the burning bush and God's telling him, I want you to go get my Israelites out of Egypt. And uh, you remember uh, uh, Moses asked him, but who do I tell them sent me? You remember the answer. I am that I am. This ultimate statement of self-sufficiency and self-existence. There's nobody else that can make that claim. Only God. Now, Jesus, and and John's going to record him, makes seven I am statements as he goes through Joan. I am, and then there are seven metaphors. The first one was the bread of life. We're going to look at the second one today. At the end of the chapter we're looking at, he's going to claim I am, and I think there's an element of this in all these statements. At the end of this chapter, it's going to be a couple of weeks from now, but he's going to do this, and they're going to take out stones to kill him because they do understand when he says I am, they do understand what he's implying. So today... Jesus is talking about, I am the light of life. This is the second one revealed in John. And when he shares that he's the light of life, he's using words to communicate the truth of who he is, to draw people to himself that they might enjoy this light. Now, there's some complicated stuff in this text. You have questions about it. Uh, uh, don't be afraid to, to, to reach out and we'll talk about it. And it was complicated, particularly for those who heard it. But at the truth, at the truth level, it's life-changing. It's life-transforming. But what Jesus is going to say here is he's going to say, if you don't get this, you're in big trouble. That's his concern and that's our concern. As we go into this text today, here's my hope. If you're here and you're still trying to figure out whether or not Jesus is that true light, my hope is that as we talk about this and you hear these words of Jesus, maybe you'll be moved to actually see him as the light. At the end of the text that we read today, I want you to notice there are some there that these words lead them to believe. If you're here today and you believe Jesus is the light, but the reality is truth be told, It's not shining that brightly in your life. The reality is the issues and challenges of this life tend to be dimming that light. He's the light. Oh yeah, Jesus is the light. 
My hope is that God would move through our time here together for you to say, oh, he is the light. This light that shines so powerfully in my life that no matter what's out there, I have the confidence of the light that comes with Jesus. My hope is ultimately that there would nobody that would be here as we look at these words of Jesus that would leave here this morning still stuck in the darkness. So here's the text, long text. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Lays out the big idea right in the get-go. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. Because the reality is, if you knew me, you would know, you would know my father also. Now these words he spoke in the treasure as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him, though he was ticking some people off. Ultimately, because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And Jesus, so the Jew said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you know, you guys are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Father, that's my prayer. That as we think about your son who claims to be the light of the world, that you will reveal the magnitude of that brightness to us today. Father, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, I pray that you would empower us, that you would enable us to see this light and to respond in the only way that makes sense, by loving, adoring, and following this light. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
So why should Jesus believe? In a sense, it's what the whole gospel is about. It's what this is all about. But it's particularly what our text is about. Jesus is revealing who he is, the light of the world. He's been doing that from the beginning. And folks are having a hard time seeing it. Folks are still having a hard time seeing it. But, but he's going to answer this question. I think there are three primary answers to it. But why should Jesus believe, be believed? Again, Jesus spoke to them. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you're testifying again to yourself. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 31, it could be that these guys are actually throwing Jesus' words right back at him. Because earlier he said, if I testify alone about me, his point back there is I'm not testifying about me. There's a bunch of witnesses, including the father. He's going here. But he said, if I testify about myself, then my testimony is not true. Now, by that, he didn't mean that he was somehow lying or it was disingenuous or anything. He just meant, based upon the Old Testament principle of two witnesses, you shouldn't believe me. So I think very likely these guys are throwing Jesus' words right back Adam, you are bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony, therefore, shouldn't be believed. It's, it's, it's not actually true. So why should Jesus be believed? Three primary answers. Here's his response. The first one that he's already been dealing with, and we're going to move through this fairly quickly. He's going to allude to this seven times. Seven times in this text. Here's what he says. He was sent by God who is his father, and therefore his witness. Now, we're going to move through this quickly. And he's already dealt with this, but I'm not just testifying on my own, Jesus is saying. And Jesus answered, before he even gets to the father, notice how he starts here. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Now, look at his rationale. For I know where I came from. Where did Jesus come from? Where? Heaven. Let's pause for a second. Who has the ability to come from heaven? Who? Oh, you guys are saying it so timidly. This is about the light of the world. Who has the ability to come from heaven? God. So before he even goes to the Father, he says, hey, I'm testifying my own, but you don't get who I am. My testimony is true, for I know where I came from. He came from heaven. And where I'm going, where is he going? But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You guys don't get it. So I'm actually God testifying about myself. But then he moves to the Father. In your law, this is what they're arguing over, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, this is where I think sometimes we can be really harsh when it comes to our assessment of these Jews that are listening to this. And we go, oh, if we were there, we'd have gotten it, we'd have listened, we'd have believed, we'd have committed our life. Here's what Jesus says. I'm testing by myself, and this guy here that you can't see who's invisible, he's also testifying about me. That's what he's saying. But sometimes I think we're a little harsh on these folks. They're looking for a human witness. <laughs> Jesus says, this guy right here, 
The father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where's your father? They're still looking for this, this physical manifestation. Jesus answered, and this is important. The linkage again between the father and him. You know neither me nor my father. Now, who, answered, who started this? Not just the Jews, the Pharisees. The guys that believed they knew God intimately. What Jesus is saying is, the primary reason you don't know me is because the God you think you know that you're speaking for and that you're glorifying, here's the reality. You actually don't know him either. You know neither me nor my father because if you knew me, then you would actually know my father. And if you knew my father, if you had a genuine relationship with him, then you would know me. Now, did I click that? Yep, there I go. So they said to him, then, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me, the Father, is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him, the Father. It's not just me, though I'm God. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So why is Jesus to be trusted? First reason? He's God. He was sent by God. God's his special father. The father is God. Again, you got this mystery with the Trinity. And I'm going to talk about this later. But guys, this sounds like stinking nonsense. He is God, but he was sent by God, who is the father. Who believes this stuff? We do. And I just explained it as well as I can explain it. But this is not easy stuff. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a second. So pretend you didn't hear that now. So let's go to the, the second reason. Why should Jesus be our believed? First of all, because he's trustworthy. First of all, because it's true. He's God. And this is the one that's debated. And when we hold this, people interpret us as being arrogant. arrogant. Now, it's only arrogant if we're wrong. Now, I've heard people speak of the exclusiveness of Christ and do it in a, what I would call an arrogant, condescending way. Does that make sense? Oh, you just got to love Jesus. You dummies that don't love Jesus, you're going to hell. Not exactly a Christ-like expression. But we'll never compromise on the truth that Jesus is the only hope. Because that's what Scripture says. And that's what Jesus says. Now we want our tone to reflect the love of Christ. But we're in a culture right now that's trying to get us on compromise on a lot of ideas and truth. And they're trying to get us to compromise on this one. We're going to speak in love, always. But we are not going to yield. It's true. And it's the only hope folks have. It's offered to all. Ha! Let's not ever miss this. And that's my fear in the last several years, and it's been going on for decades, but we're in this 
please hear me saying, battle for our culture and for our values and for our mores. But this is our highest value. It feels like to me sometimes as we've gotten in the cultural battles that we've gotten so excited, had an angry tone and so emphasized it that in, in the context, many people didn't hear this. Now, there are culture issues right there. You guys know I never thought I'd see Roe Wade overturned and I'm ecstatic. But this truth is more important right here. That Jesus loves everybody is more important than any other cultural issue out there. Are we going to continue to promote in our culture those values that we think come from a loving God? We are. But it's offered to all. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And I love this one word, whoever. I don't care your background. I don't care your ethnicity. I don't care your socioeconomic status. I don't care your social status. It doesn't mean squat. Whoever. This is an invitation for everybody. And this is the most important truth that we as followers of Christ are trying to promote. Whoever, I don't care what you've done in your life, I don't care what sin you have committed, it's not beyond the power of Jesus. Whoever, and this is a word we talk a lot about here, and a theology we talk a lot about here because I feel like it's been dumbed down in evangelicalism and if I understand who Jesus is, I'm good. I say a prayer, I go forward, I'm good. Whoever follows me, commits their life to me, realizes that I am the light that transforms everything. You'll see all of life's issues in a different lens when you see me. When this light enters your life, everything is framed in the context of my light and of my love and will not walk in darkness. Now, the world has been a dark place since Adam and Eve sinned. In a very real sense, folks, we're not dealing with anything new. Technology, some of these cultural shift in values, but the darkness has been here since Adam and Eve decided not to treasure God. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not just enjoy the light, but experience that life. We'll have a relationship with the light. We actually connected to this almighty God through our faith in Christ. He's going to talk about this. I'm going to deal with this quickly. And this is the part, again, we can't miss. Because particularly you've heard me refer to post-evangelicals, those who have been in the evangelical movement, but this is what they're diminishing. And these are the words of Jesus. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And I don't think literally Jesus. They don't believe he's the Messiah. You're going to continue to seek a Messiah, but you've got a wrong idea of who the Messiah is. 
I'm going away and you're going to seek a Messiah, but you're not going to find him because I actually am him. And you will die in your sin. Now, I want you to notice here singular. You're going to die in your unbelief. The essence of sin is not treasuring Jesus, is not trusting God, not have an accurate picture of who he is. And where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm going to heaven. If you die in your sin, you're not going there. And then he expounded on a little bit. I told you that you would die in your sins. Notice the plural. Sin is unbelief. How does sin of unbelief, the essence of it, get manifested? Let me tell you, pretty much limitless ways. What God cares most about is the sin, the nature of that sin. The sins are the expression that flow from not believing in God, not trusting in him, not treasuring him, not believing in him. And he's already told him what the consequences will be, but he reminded, you will die in your sins. So what makes this light so hard to see? I already referenced this early, and I told you not to remember what I said, but I know some of you didn't listen to me, so you remembered it, so I won't spend a lot of time here. So let me understand. There's a God who created everything, and he's really holy. We sinned against him, and then the second person of the Trinity becomes a human being, and then he goes to the cross and dies for our sins. Then through faith in this guy, who is God, but has a separate relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, through faith in him, you're good. To how many of you at some point in your life did that sound like nonsense? Folks, I'm going to tell you if it's never felt that way, think through it as objectively as you can. Particularly those of you who were raised in the church. Now you understand I've given my life to Jesus and I'm given my life to helping people experience this life, this light. But there was a point in my life where I'm like, what? Are you stinking get me? He what? He's who? Now the power of God has to work for us to see this and we've got to keep thinking. But it's our reason that believes, moves us to believe this. The integrity of the biblical text. It was absolutely critical in my life when I finally looked at that. Is this book trustworthy? And I went, it is. So you know what? I'm going to trust it on the, some of the stuff that in my head eh, makes a little less sense. I'm going to believe it's true. Because I'm finite. He's infinite. Well, if he's infinite, there got to be things about him I can't completely understand. So why am I going to understand what I can? Because this word he gave us is true. Light doesn't look like the light expected. Again, they were looking for this military political guy to come in and just dominate and wipe out Rome and destroy him and, and put him all the way back. And he comes in, nobody even knows he arrived. His followers, I love these guys because it gives me hope for me, but they're quite frankly a bunch of numbskulls. I mean, who's going to listen to these? There's a bunch of religious Who's going to listen to these guys he picked to promote the Gospels? They're not quite frankly people I don't think I would pick to lead a life group. And here Jesus picks them to promote the whole Gospel. And then you go, oh yeah, he trusts us too. We're in that category of numbskulls. It doesn't look like light expected. Now as we live in this world, here's the challenge for us. You understand folks that don't see Jesus, they believe they have the light and we're living in darkness. Y'all get that? 
I'm just going to tell you, from my standpoint, sometimes they make choices and worldview that make no sense to me. You guys, we talked about the, I talked about a little bit about the Webb telescope, 13 billion. Uh, again, I read several articles on this. Now, these guys are telling me about God without realizing it or, let me tell you, I think intending it. Most of them have this worldview that it just came. And they think I'm in darkness. 13 billion light years out there. There's like 13 billion and it just happened. What do you say? Okay. But you understand, they believe they're in light. So when we interact with these folks, we want to be gracious, we want to be loving, and the best approach, I think, is just to ask them a lot of questions. Keep asking questions. All the good stuff that distracts. You guys have heard me say, God created us to be happy. He created this whole cosmos and everything in it to be enjoyed. Golf, cars, families, the theater, music, all the stuff he put to us and joy us. But we're living at a time where there is more recreation and entertainment options than any the world has ever seen. There is so much to keep us occupied. Our phone, our computers, oh, our big screen TVs. Let's not forget about those. I went on vacation. There was this puny little TV. I was trying to watch a little ball game. It was like this big. I mean, I had to get home. So, yeah, because this is an experience. God wants us to enjoy all this stuff. But I tell you, one of the things that I think prevents us from seeing this, the fullness of the brightness of this life is all this other stuff. Does he want us to enjoy that? Yes. He's been so generous and so benevolent that it keeps us from seeing his light. What's the last thing here, the third thing? What should, why should Jesus believe? Because his death is going to make clear who he is. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, talking about his crucifixion, Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing in my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. Then you will know that I am he. How many people at the crucifixion recognized that Jesus was the Son of God? How many is recorded in Scripture? One, I think maybe two. Thief on the cross and the centurion who's not referenced in the Gospel of John. Surely you are the Son of God. Two. So when Jesus says this, he doesn't mean when you crucify me, everybody's going to instantly know. It's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You want to see the power of God. You really want to see the fullest expression of his power and of his love. You're going to look at the cross. The power to forgive us, each of us, our eternal debt of sin. You want to see the power of God, Jesus says? You're going to see it. You want to see the love of God? You're going to see it. Justin and Missy, think that son's valuable to them? Any chance they'd offer him for us? 
Let me tell you the answer without even asking him. No. And yet that's what God did for us. You've heard me say before, and I'm going to keep saying it. In our Christianity in America, the major three holidays, Christmas, Easter, Good Friday. No. Good Friday. You want to see the power and the love of God, Jesus says. You're going to see it. That's not coming in a form that anybody without the Holy Spirit moving their life will be able to see. We're going to watch a little video. We first showed this 18 years ago in 2004. I've watched it a couple of times since then. Butler is reminded. This gentleman articulates, I think, what Jesus is talking about here. He became a good friend of mine. You get in a sense, I didn't know him for all that long. In a short period of time, he became a very good friend of mine. His name is Bob Greer. So uh, just uh, tell me about, uh, about your family. Well, I'm, I'm uh, married to Sue Greer. Uh, we've been married for 33 years this coming August, and uh, the love of my life, I met her in a sixth grade church choir in the Baptist church that we grew up in. God's blessed us with two beautiful children, Josh, our, our youngest, who's 26, uh, married to Nicole, and uh, Julie, our eldest, who's married to Kwame, and uh, Kwame was a professional soccer player, and, and uh, both Josh and Julie played Division One college sports, and for a lot of years, that's what my life revolved around, was making sure that I was at all the games, and uh, God really blessed me with a lot of joy watching them do that. And what's kept you busy professionally? Uh, I'm both a CPA and an attorney. I started out as a, as a CPA with, uh, with Price Waterhouse. Um, stayed with them a few years and started my own practice, which I then merged into another larger firm and ended up running a a pretty large firm here in Orange County that was a local office of a Western regional firm. Uh, but I always had this itch to go to law school. And uh, one of my friends, uh, good friends, in fact, a lot of my friends were lawyers, and they encouraged me to do that. So at the age of 42, I went back to law school part-time while I still practiced accounting and uh, finished law school and started my law practice, but somehow I couldn't shake the accounting practice loose. so. I do a little bit of both. You said you mentioned that uh, you met your wife in Baptist Church. What's just a little bit about your spiritual background and your heritage? Well, you know, I, I was raised in a, in a Christian family. It was, it was never an issue. I mean, from the earliest time that, uh, that I can remember, you know, God and Jesus was just in the vocabulary. I didn't write down in my Bible or in a book anywhere when I, when I accepted the Lord as my Savior, but, but I did as, as a pretty young child, and I believe in a vacation Bible school in a Baptist uh, church over in Bellflower, California. Uh, and, and I think I had a 
as well as I could at that time, had a pretty clear understanding of, of God's plan and, and what that meant to, to, to trust in, in Jesus for my, for my salvation. And so uh, I've been his for a long time. Uh, but like a lot of people, you go through a lot of hills and valleys and living in the culture that we live in and, and uh, all the temptations and opportunities to uh, go different directions. You know, it hasn't been a steady climb all the time. You got some pretty significant news this last fall. I'm wondering, uh, would you share a little bit about that, how it's impacted your life and your faith? Well, it all it all came pretty quick. About about four months ago, I uh, I just uh, wasn't wasn't feeling very well, and uh, uh, we were planning a trip to go back and visit Julie and her husband Kwame at Thanksgiving, and I just started feeling progressively worse and worse, and finally, uh, Dr. Ken is a member of our church here. A good friend of mine and my family physician. Uh, he and I decided that I was just too sick to go on the trip, that I should go in the hospital and have some tests and uh, and find out uh, what was going on. So we did that uh, just uh, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving this last year. Uh, and they ran a series of tests and uh, um, it would take a long time to tell the whole story. But but what what is significant is that I didn't it, it, it wasn't unloaded on me all at once. It, it sort of sneaked up on me as various nurses started tiptoeing around me who had seen the test results but knew that the doctors hadn't talked to me about it and they kept wanting to know if the doctors had talked to me about it yet. And I said, no, but I'm getting the feeling maybe they should. But um, on that uh, Friday morning, uh, laying in my bed, I was in St. Jude Hospital in, in Fullerton and I had a beautiful view out, out the window. It was a beautiful morning that morning, I remember, and it was the sun came up and there's a there's a station on the TV in-house TV station there that just says, you know, beautiful mood music and it was just a beautiful moment. And I picked up the phone and I, I called Sue and uh, um, I told her that uh, I was pretty sure that I had cancer uh, just from what they had said and that I knew a doctor was coming to see me. And, and it was really about three hours after that before the doctors finally got there, but before before they told me that, I had I had that time to, to think about what that meant in my life. And then there's two directions you can go. You know, you can you can curse God and say, why me? Um, or you can just lean back and lift your hands up and say, I'm in your hands, Lord. And um, I, I'm pleased to say that I, that I did the latter. And the reason I say I'm pleased to say that is it really confirmed to me my, my faith, that it really wasn't a struggle when that time came. I, I knew that I was powerless at that moment. Uh, and, and within a week, I'd been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer that had uh, metastasized to the liver, uh, which statistically um, would, would be terminal uh, in, a, in a fairly short time. So we decided not to read statistics anymore. <laughs> We're waiting on a, on a miracle and believing in a miracle but yet we, uh, we also believe in the sovereignty of God. And we believe God's in heaven, it says in Psalm 115.3, our God's in heaven and he does what pleases him. And uh, if it pleases him for me, me to be in this place at this time, then I accept that. And uh, more than accept it, I embrace it. And Sue and I made a commitment at that time that we would live life one day at a time uh, and just thank him every day for each day that he gives us. I don't know how many I have. I may have many, I may have few, um, but uh, it has totally changed the way 
that I look at life. Um, I went from being a really high control guy who was confident that, uh, that I could uh, fight any battle, uh, could win any, any contest and, uh, and take care of myself and take care of my family. And now I've been put in a place where I really do have to trust in him just for the basics, uh, just to make sure my business stays together, make sure that, um, you know, financially we're okay. It's been a tough time and you had that faith and it's been a strong faith and, and affirmed here. But we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ today. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, as you, as you celebrate this Easter, what does it mean that those folks went to that tomb and it was empty that Jesus was alive? You know, I shared with you earlier, I'd, I was too sick to go see the, the Passion of the Christ when it first came out. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I felt good enough uh, to go. And uh, uh, it's been uh, the, the last scene in that, in that movie when you see the, the burial clothes just there and you can just see Christ walking off. That's, that's the payoff shot. Uh, there, you and I both know there's, there's no other uh, religion or belief system in, in the world that makes that claim that the central figure of that religion died and, and rose again. Nobody else makes that claim because they can't. Now, in terms of what makes this Easter special, it's gotta be pretty special because Easter's always been very special to me. I, I remember as a small child, this that always been a really special family time. I have a really neat memory of my mother who was a trumpet player. And at Hollywood Bowl, you know, they have Easter sunrise services. And uh, when she was either in high school or just out of high school, she was selected to be the one to stand at the back of the Hollywood Bowl in this beautiful white robe and play the trumpet at the Easter sunrise service. And uh, we have a picture of that somewhere. I'm not sure where it is. Um, but I have a very strong memory of that uh, and the significance of that to our family. But this will be the first Easter this year when I've had the kind of relationship with Christ that I have now. As you look back and you think about what you thought your relationship was with Christ until it's tested like it is with this. And what I have to confess now and realize is that for so many years, that relationship, it wasn't my life. It was just a part of my life. It was, it was one of the components of the successful life. Beautiful family, successful professional practice, leader in the church, you know, everything's got, got eternity covered. You know, I've got my past to heaven, got all that in place. Now it's just, it's just totally different. It's not part of my life. It really is my life. Because in, in many ways, I have nothing left. I don't have my hair left. <laughs> Went with your hairstyle. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been a very Job-like uh, last four months. I, I, I started chemotherapy about a week after I was diagnosed. And, and right after that first chemotherapy, I developed very painful kidney stones that required two hospital stays to get rid of. A couple of weeks later on December 20th, my father passed away and I was too sick. I was in the hospital. I was even too sick to come out of the hospital to even be with him uh, when, he, when he passed away. And then after, after five chemotherapy treatments, I went into bronchospasms just a couple of weeks ago and ended up in ICU on a respirator for a week. Um, which physically was a devastating time, but spiritually again was a very nourishing time because I, I, I went to the quiet place where they had literally paralyzed my body with drugs when they put you on a respirator and I couldn't talk or speak to anybody, but I had a week, at least in the moments when I was awake, to, to talk to God in a, in a new and, and fresh way. 
So, you know, Easter is all about rebirth and it's all about redemption and it's about new beginnings. And we are believing in a miracle that I will be cured. But if I'm not, uh, I still have a new life in him. And everybody can have that new life. And one of the most exciting things to me out of this whole thing is Pastor Dennis came to me the other day and visited me in the hospital and just encouraged me about how many people I was encouraging as they watched me go through this. And uh, God has that ability to take anything and, uh, and make good out of it. And uh, I just hope that, uh, that, that people that hear this, um, you don't have to go through what I'm going through to have that realization. Uh, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But if I had to trade the, the relationship that I feel with Christ now for the way things used to be physically, I, I wouldn't make that trade. It's just too sweet. I wouldn't give it up.